Welcome everyone to the Bridge of Faith podcast. We are so glad you're listening today. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. God bless. Good morning, Bridge of Faith. Today we're going to continue our discussion on breakthrough. But this is a little different. We're not just going to talk about the actual breakthrough. Today we're focusing on the period before the breakthrough. Yes, so the title of this message is Before the Breakthrough. And let me open up in prayer. God, I just thank you so much that you're with us in everything, Lord God. In all seasons, Lord Jesus, you're with us, not just in the deliverance and the victory and the breakthrough, but you're with us in the times in between our victories, God. You're with us, Lord God, in the stale moments of time, God. You're with us, Lord God, when it seems like nothing is moving, God. Nothing is, is, is being successful, Lord God. And so we thank you that you're so faithful to us, Lord God, that even in seasons where people would leave us, Lord God, or walk away, Lord God, or, or criticize us, Lord God, you're with us through it all. And we love you, Lord God, that you're the God of breakthrough, God, and you're the God of before the breakthrough, Jesus, and after the breakthrough. And so we love you, Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So breakthrough is defined as something that is sudden, dramatic, and important in a discovery or development. Again, breakthrough is something that is sudden or dramatic development. So there's good news and bad news about a breakthrough. The good news is that it happens suddenly. It happens in an instance. The bad news is that for that instance or that sudden breakthrough to happen, the time before the breakthrough must have been stagnant or gradual or stale. Okay, so just picture a flat line where you're just going along the continuum of time and nothing is seemingly happening. You're looking around, everything looks the same Everything might even look like a decline or things are just getting worse. That is the exact situation that is required and necessary for you to have a breakthrough in life. So, for instance, let me juxtapose it with an example. Let's say you are shooting a basketball for the very first time in your life. And you take that basketball, you shoot it, and you miss the hoop. You miss the hoop once. And then you take a second chance at shooting the basket into the hoop, but this time you make the basket. Now, are you gonna just all of a sudden and shout and say, breakthrough? No, you're not. You may be happy that you got it the second time, but just missing it one time and then making it the next time isn't a breakthrough. In fact, a breakthrough is preceded by a series of failures or setbacks or not getting anywhere. If you look up the antonym or the opposite of a breakthrough, it is gradual, a step back, even a decline. So in order for us to receive a breakthrough, the setting and the circumstances before the breakthrough is actually stagnant and stale. Otherwise, it wouldn't be such a victory. It wouldn't be such a definition of a breakthrough. So for instance, diamonds. Now, diamonds, the most, uh, one of the ways a diamond is primarily made is that you just have these 
carbon deposits in the ground. And they're just there being soil, being, being you know, rocks. Um, and what happens is that all of a sudden, an eruption of lava or volcano rushes through and pushes through the mantle of the earth. And as you just imagine something erupting, it drags that soil and deposit through the top. And that is what creates a diamond. It's that pressure all of a sudden coming through a breakthrough of the earth's mantle. And so now before that state, before that eruption is just something that's stale and stagnant. But it's so important that we understand this. Because sometimes it gets so discouraging when you look around and nothing is happening on the surface. Nothing is happening. In fact, you could be just experiencing failures upon failures upon failures. Well, I'm here to tell you today, friend, that that is the circumstances necessary for a breakthrough. Okay? And if we don't recognize that, what could happen is that we allow the discouragement of our circumstances and our situations of nothing changing, nothing is happening. I just experience failure upon failure. If we just allow those circumstances to weigh us down, unfortunately, what happens is that some people just give up right before they're about to have their breakthrough and they just go a different way. In fact, you know, because what precedes a breakthrough is those setbacks or failures or shut doors that could be so weighing and so discouraging that's when people often just quit they just quit and they say this is not worth it things aren't changing i'm going to do something else and if you remember the example that pastor mike gave us about the wrestler the undertaker and how he waited in the same spot the same chair for eight months before he got his breakthrough he sat every week outside of this man's office, waiting for the door to be open. And he actually had a literal door shut on him. Now, can you imagine if he just got so discouraged because things weren't changing in month six? In month six, what if he was like, you know what? I've been sitting around here for, for six months every week and things aren't changing. I'm just going to not come back. You know, there's clearly nothing motivating him, keeping them, keeping him there saying, you know, things are going to get your breakthrough. No, he had the choice in his hands, in his, it was within his hands to decide whether he was going to stick it out and wait or if he was going to just leave and never come back. And so thankfully, he waited till month eight because month eight was when things drastically changed in his life and that was when he got his breakthrough why because all of a sudden something happened and so one of the other things that I've learned is that in fitness and um, just through science through, through scientific research some people sometimes what happens when you want to lose weight and you have like maybe 15% body fat 20% body fat depending on how much body fat percentage what happens is that for most people in general, what happens is that you start to lose, you go on a diet and you do all the things right. You go on the diet, you exercise, you know, religiously. What happens is you start to lose body fat in your face first, in your extremities or so your arms and your legs before you lose weight in your stomach. But the thing is, people 
want to see the breakthrough in the abs. They want to see their abs come to life. That is why they're going through this diet. And so um, there was this trainer who said that, listen, if you stick with me for five months at least, then you'll start to really see the changes in your abs. Now, it's very easy to say, okay, you know, five months. But the thing is, when you're dieting every single day and you're restraining yourself, you're, you're, you're controlling your, your, um, your appetite or you're restricting yourself, and then you're on top of that, you have to proactively exercise. Like day after day, week after week, it could get very discouraging, especially if you don't see results right away. And so this trainer, he actually has some clients where he took a picture of them from month one to month two, and there's not that big of a change. And he said, stick it through, stick it through. And then he took a picture of them on month three. And, you know, you could start to see some changes in his face and his arms, but in his stomach, if you just compare the stomach, they look almost identical. And how discouraging is that? Now at this point, week, like month three, you have been dieting for 12 weeks and you're not seeing your abs really start to come. But the client didn't give up and he trusted his trainer. And so all of a sudden, month four came and he could start to start seeing something in his stomach. His face was already getting really chiseled now. His arms were getting super toned. And month five, was when his abs started to come through. And now when you compare month one to month five, it seems like he finally hit his breakthrough. But the time in between his breakthrough was gradual. It was gradual. And so the important lesson of that was not giving up because the gradual staleness of life where you're just not seeing anything, it could be so unmotivating. It could be so discouraging. Okay, so today what we're really going to be focusing on is the period before the breakthrough. We're going to call it the waiting. Why is this waiting important? Why is waiting on God so important? For us, it seems like nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. We're facing setbacks, decline, failures. But in this waiting period, God is building our endurance. That's why it's so important because even though it's painful for us, God sees the bigger picture and he's building our endurance. Angela Duckworth, who's the author of Grit, um, she has this quote and she says that in her book, she says, enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. Enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare is rare. And in this book, she studies why some athletes or other people in general, but in particular Olympians or professional athletes, why are people so successful? Why are they so special? Why are they, why are they actually set apart? And contrary to just popular relief, they're like, oh, they're just naturally gifted. It's just genes. Her whole book is about, no, if you go back to their training it's them being consistent in even the smallest mundane tasks every single day that gets them to where they're at. It's them not giving up. And so, you know, going back to her quote, enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare, is the pilot to life. You know, it's, it's so exciting to announce, you know, it was exciting for me to announce like to my family, I'm going to law school, you know, 
and they're excited. Everyone's enthusiastic. Everyone's excited is excited. But what's not exciting is enduring the three arduous years of training to become a lawyer. It's that endurance is is tough. You know, doing 70 to 8 hour weeks of studying and working and and sacrificing not going to social events. Um, getting on average three to four hours of sleep every single night, having your family visit from the Bay Area and going Disneyland and you seeing them for saying hi for an hour and then going back to reading, you know, 200 pages of, of cases and, uh, you know, every couple of nights, that's not exciting. Okay. It's exciting to announce that you've joined, hey, I joined a new uh, workout program, a new diet, but enduring throughout the workout program to see the results, that is hard. That is rare. It's exciting to say you're going into ministry, but to endure throughout ministry is hard. But here's the thing. It's those who endure who get the breakthrough. It's those who endure who receive the breakthrough. It's those who finish the race that get the reward. If we look at the Bible, Joseph, he waited on um, through studies, um, people who study the Bible, it, they said it, he waited about 13 to 14 years from God's, God, from his dream of being, you know, on top for, from that dream to it actually happening. So 13, 14 years of just wondering and hoping, that is so long. Okay, and David, it says that he waited about 10 to 15 years from the point where he was anointed by Samuel to be king to actually for it to actually happening. Okay, so enduring during those years, it's just not like you're just sitting in a nice, comfortable waiting room for 13, 14, uh, 10 to 15 years. No, in fact, waiting on God, waiting on God for a breakthrough is 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 hard and painful and it's unpleasant enduring something so endurance the definition is the ability to continue with an unpleasant or difficult situation and experience over a long period of time so the definition of endurance is the ability to continue in an unpleasant or difficult situation over a long period of time so let's look at um, our first piece of scripture, which is Isaiah chapter 40 through, 43, 2 through 3. Isaiah chapter 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So what that doesn't say is when you're just sleeping in the most comfortable bed and, and the clouds are your pillows, I'm going to be there with you. When you're just, you know, full and, and you have prosperity all around you, I'm going to be there with you. Yes, God is there with us in prosperity in times of joy. But what this verse is talking about is when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you are going through the rivers, not on a, like, not just, you know, you're just chilling, I'm going to be with you. But when you walk through the fire, 
Who walks through fire? It says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God is saying this because he's saying that fire is not, is not a natural element that gives you peace and pleasure. Fire, if you interact with it, is set to destroy you. It's, it's going to burn you. It's going to kill you. But he's saying, when that happens, not if, when that happens, I am with you. I am your savior. So God is with us. He is our savior. He is in the furnace with us. And so Joseph and David, they didn't just sit on their butts waiting for 13 or 14 years. They were waiting in a place where they were, they had enemies against them. Joseph, he was betrayed and then he was, he was in actual literal chains as a slave, as a prisoner. Okay. And then on top of that, he, he gets, he gets, um, favor and then he gets casted out again and becomes a prisoner, even worse with less rights. And then David, it wasn't, he was just sitting and waiting. David had, was a fugitive of the nation of Israel, the king himself and his whole army that he was leading, that he used to lead before they were hunting him. They were actually hunting him and he had to go into enemy territory he had a he had to pretend he was a crazy person. I mean, David, he had to hide in caves. It wasn't he was in a comfortable waiting period. But in this time of waiting, God was building him endurance. Joseph, in this time of waiting, it wasn't wasted. He was learning how to be a head over a household. He was learning how to handle and, and govern over a state, which is what what was it? It was training for him. It was training for him. Okay. So think of the Hunger Games. Now in the Hunger Games, if you're familiar with it, what happens is that these, a person is chosen from each nation to represent their nation. And they're put into this contained environment. So you can't escape it. Okay. And in the Hunger Games, you can't just sit and wait for the time period. What happens is that you have actual people, enemies coming to kill you. Okay, so unfortunately, our waiting time before we get our breakthrough isn't just we're just sitting somewhere. That is, that is, that's not what it's like. We're, it's kind of like more like the Hunger Games, unfortunately. Our waiting room, our waiting time before we get our breakthrough, we actually have an enemy wanting to destroy us. So it makes it even that much harder to hope on God, to, to keep your faith. And God knows that and he understands that. You know, but it is hard to wait on God. I'd say it's one of, as a Christian, it's one of the hardest things as a Christian is waiting on God. And on top of that, you have an enemy actively wanting to destroy you, to kill you while you are trying to um, get your breakthrough, while you're trying to persevere. So sometimes we have, we find ourselves in these situations and we cry out and we're like, God, how can you allow certain circumstances to show up in our lives? How can, you, how can you allow this enemy to come and attack me? But here's the thing, like, you know, when people get muscle atrophy, it's because they're sitting in a position for so long that their muscles aren't being used. And it, it was crazy is that the act of just not being active, no pressure is being put on their muscles it actually causes their muscles to deteriorate and they can't, and, and it actually disables them. It becomes a disability with no pressure 
or weight is being put on their muscles. And what's so crazy is that the antithesis of that or the opposite of that is when you work out and you go to the gym. In fact, going to the gym and carrying weights will actually break down your muscle fibers. But what happens as a result, it makes them stronger. It makes them have the ability to endure. And so sometimes we want to just be angry at God because we're facing something difficult or challenging. And it's very, because it, it hurts us, it, it's very hard to take the wisdom to look at a situation and say, this is going to make me stronger. It's not only oftentimes until it's in hindsight where we realize, man, that made me stronger. So look at David. David, you know, he could have been like, man, like, you know, screw you, God. Like, you had me face a lion. Like, what the heck? No one faces a lion. But here's the thing. Because David faced the lion as a youth, because he faced the bear as a youth, which is not normal, which is not common, which is, you know, it's an enemy that can definitely rip you apart and kill you. But because he faced those situations and overcame those, that means that when he faced a giant, it was a swift victory for him. Why? It's because he had endurance. He knew who God was. He knew who his salvation came from. And that's why when he faced a giant, he said, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hands. Why? It's because he has faced battles before and he has seen God do it before. Okay? So in order to persevere through this waiting time, through this time of endurance, this time of stagnancy, this time of, you know, of decline or failures, we must be willing to face barriers in front of us, enemies in front of us. If we do not, then, and then we will not overcome them and then we will not get the victory and breakthrough that we have been so earnestly waiting for. So I know it's kind of tough because now I'm telling you, okay, we have to wait for a breakthrough. And not only that, we have an enemy coming against us. But again, if we trust God, we would also trust that he's doing this so that he can build endurance, faith, and strength in us. The problem is it's so challenging to overcome these barriers or these battles in front of us. Now, the biggest thing that the enemy enemy seeks to destroy us is not so much in Hunger Games where we actually have an arrow, you know, coming at us, you know, Katniss Everdeen with her arrow coming at us. We don't face that as Christians, at least in the USA right now, where we don't have, you know, our physical enemy. So how does the enemy try to attack us? You know, we don't have like a giant, nine foot giant, 10 foot giant in front of us like David or an actual bear or lion in front of us like David. But don't be mistaken, we definitely have an enemy and that's what um, you know, in Ephesians 6, what Paul talks about is that we fight against principalities, not against flesh and blood. And so the biggest battles that Christians have to face is our mental battles, psychological battles, and barriers. So, for example, one of the um, persons I want to talk to you about who had to overcome a mental barrier was Roger Bannister. If you don't know who he is, Roger Bannister was the first person to break through the four-minute mile barrier in 1954. So until 1954, a human being could not run a mile in under four minutes. In fact, they thought it was impossible. People intentionally tried for the last 70 years prior to 1954, intentionally 
um, tried to train and run a mile in under four minutes, and everyone had failed up to that point. Um, partially, this had to do with people thinking that it was physically impossible, meaning a person's heart would burst because of so much intensity on them that they couldn't do it. Well, Roger Bannister, he trained and trained and trained, and he trained for this mile, and he was training about 28 miles a week. So if you think about long-distance runners, that's actually not that much. If you break that down to seven days, what that's four miles a day. There's endurance runners who run more than that in a day. But here's the thing. He was training 28 miles a week to run one mile. That's how much training he was doing. He's, he was training 28 miles to run one mile in under four minutes. And so that's what's so crazy is that for him to, he knew that if he had to hit that breakthrough and, 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 and surpass that barrier, that limit, that lid that was on top of him, there was so much training and, and preparation that had to be done first. You know, um, one of the industries that, I, um, that I'm interested in or that I admire so much is the um, bodybuilding industry or, you know, um, bodybuilders or bikini builders competitions. And it's so crazy because these competitors, these athletes, they have to train their body for hours and hours, for, for months, weeks, and even in the weeks before they're prepped to go on stage. They're, they're controlling what they're eating. They're running. They're, they're doing their cardio. They're lifting weights, you know, constantly testing the body's limits. But you know what? They're only on stage for two minutes. And so they have like some of them years of training to get their body condition and then months and weeks of preps and diet. And they're only on stage for two minutes. That's so crazy, right? Is that all this endurance, all this preparation for such a small amount of time? Well, Roger Bannister, he trained so much just to get, just to get a, a, a mile, run a mile in less than four minutes. In fact, John Bryant, he was a journalist at the time and also a runner who tried running the four-minute mile, um, he wrote about the struggle. And he said that everyone trying to beat this four-minute barrier, um, it, was, it, was, it was just this limitation. And he said that it had become as much a psychological barrier as a physical one. It had become as much as a psychological barrier as a physical one. And like an unconquerable mountain, the closer it was approached, the more daunting it seemed. So just think about that. If you're going up to a mountain, the closer you get to the mountain, the bigger it seems, right? The more daunting it seems. And so he's saying that not just, just training for something and, and trying to run a, a mile under four minutes, it wasn't just a physical thing that you had to get over. It had, it, now there was a psychological barrier that battled, that warred against your mind. And isn't that true sometimes that sometimes the closer we get to conquering our dreams, it seems even more daunting, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound, seem like, man, I can imagine like, you know, the undertaker, I'm sure the one month of, of sitting out in front of the office, that seemed easier than the seventh month. The seventh month, it probably just, at that point, that's when you're just so tired, you're discouraged, you're, 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 you're worn down. 
your, your hope now is, is running on empty, your gas is running on empty, but that's only in eight months. Now picture, multiply that by the years that Joseph had to wait, the, the years that David had to wait. That's much longer of a time to just wait on the Lord, wait on hope, wait and wait and wait. In fact, um, later when Roger Bannister, so he did, he did um, run the mile in less than four minutes. It was three minutes and 59 59.4 seconds. And he writes later that the last few seconds seemed never ending. The last few seconds seemed never ending. And so I think that, you know, that the enemy has been here a lot longer on earth than we have. And he's, he's wiser because he just has more experience. So I bet you he understands and he knows that, man, the time when they're the weakest, the time when the Christians are the weakest is when they've had enough, is when they just don't have any more strength. They have no strength left. But I will tell you that when you lift weights and you, you build up your muscle and your endurance, it's, your endurance is as strong as how long you've been enduring for how long you've been conditioning for. And so even though the enemy thinks of that, like that's the time I want to get them, in God's eyes, man, if they just hold on longer, if they just hold on a little bit longer, if they get to that eighth month, if they get to that 14th year, it sounds so daunting to say out loud, they're going to get their victory. And they're going to look back and they're going to be so much stronger and wiser because I have built endurance and character in them. So, again, for us to get to our victory, we have to be able to overcome the mental battles and the barriers that we go through because that's where the enemy wars with us. That's our hunger games. Like, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a forest. The, the container isn't a forest when people are, like, just trying to kill each other in hunger games. The container is your mind. The ceiling that you can't escape is your mind. The dome is literally your dome that you can't escape. And so what do you do? We have an enemy coming into your mind, wanting to kill you and destroy you. Like in the Hunger Games, like Katniss Everdeen. So what do you do? If Katniss Everdeen just stayed up in a tree or whatever, like they're going to come after her. So you have to learn how to fight back. You have to be able to stand your ground. Okay, because the enemy, he's going to put thoughts like you're not good enough. God won't do it. Why would God bless you? You keep failing. Look around you. You're just a failure. You'll always fail. So what do we do with those type of thoughts, with this, with this battleground? Well, what David did is that he fought back, you know? And so we look into our arsenal. We look into our tools. And the ways that you can fight back is through prayer, fasting, like what, you know, um, all, all of our speakers, Pastor, Pastor Mike, you know, um, Pastor John and, and Justin, what they've talked about before is like through through worship, through through um, fasting and praying. That is what is going to help defeat our enemy. So, to close, if you see failures all around you, that's a good sign. You're in a position for a breakthrough. If you see, you know, nothing happening for for a while not just a day or a month or so, and you're still in God's will, you're still in God's will, you're still clinging on to him, you're still trying to honor him and all that you do and say, 
then you're in a position for a breakthrough. Because if you look at jo Joseph's life, um, it just seemed like he was just going down and down and even more down before he went up and became second in command of all of Egypt. He went from a, from a, a, a chosen son, a favorite son, to all of a sudden the bottom of the pit. And then if it couldn't get worse, it did get worse for Joseph. And he, he became a prisoner. And it was like the closer, the, the worse that it got for Joseph, it, he was actually getting closer to his breakthrough. Okay? Another sign is if you feel isolated and alone, that's actually a good sign. <laughs> you're sticking it through. That's a good sign for your breakthrough that's about to come. That it, you're actually closer to your breakthrough, feeling isolated and alone. That means you're sticking it through. One of um, my childhood, or I say a lot of our childhood uh, movies that we, you probably liked watching was um, Willy Wonka and the, Char and the Chocolate Factory. And, um, you know, real quick, there's a whole bunch of kids that were chosen, and they're going through the factory, and one by one, each kid is getting knocked off somehow. They're breaking the rules. Um, they don't have integrity. And all the, the only person that's left is Charlie. Now, Charlie wasn't completely innocent. If you remember the movie, um, you're, the rules weren't you weren't supposed to touch anything or steal anything. Well, Charlie, him, I think it was his uncle or grandpa, what is his grandpa, Joe, they actually took some of like these fizzle drinks and they kept burping and burp like they kept on going to the ceiling anyways they broke the rules okay so at the end of the movie Willy Wonka was like you drank that soda you broke the rules you lost okay but because of Charlie's you know I would say I don't say repentant heart but kind of like he he decided in that moment that he was going to um be a little boy of integrity and instead of walking away, he could have had the choice of basically selling the secret of Willy Wonka's factory to like this, like this sleazy guy who's in the movie. I forgot his name. But instead, he puts it on Willy Wonka's desk. And he chose in that moment, like even though like I, you know, I made it to the end, my fi his final test of integrity, he put it on the desk. And his family was poor. He could have taken that and sold it to the enemy and made a fortune and helped his family and justified it. But he put it on Willy Wonka's desk. And Willy Wonka looked at Charlie and he said, you won. You won. And the whole point of this whole situation where he was bringing these children in was he was trying to find a successor of the factory. And Charlie was the only one left. And he was alone and isolated. And... You might look around and think, why am I still here? Why am I still doing this? But Charlie was alone too. And he inherited his breakthrough and his victory. So I'm going to leave us with Psalm 27, 13 through 14. I would have lost, lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say in the Lord. God, I just pray for everyone who's listening right now, God, wherever they're at, Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord God, that you would help them to endure this time period, God. 
Help them to endure whatever they're waiting on, Lord God, for their breakthrough, Jesus. I just pray, Lord God, that as you strengthen Joseph, as you strengthen David, Lord God, that you would strengthen us, Lord God. Strengthen our mind, Lord God. As the enemy comes against us in this waiting time, that we would stand our ground and fight, Lord God. That we come against any mental barriers or lies of the enemy that tries to mess with our minds, Lord God. We stand firm and we set our eyes upon you, God. And we choose to remain in you. We choose to wait on you, God. And so we're so grateful for who you are, God, and what you, what you do in our lives, God. Without you, we have no victory, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are in our breakthrough, God. You're in our, and you're in the time in between, Lord God, our victories. You're in the waiting period with us, Jesus. And open our eyes to see you here with us, Lord God, and give us the courage and the hope that we need and the strength that we need to get through this waiting time until we get our breakthrough, Jesus. And for those of you who have received your breakthrough, we praise you, God, Lord. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and we look forward to the day where we will receive a reward with you in heaven, Lord God. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.